welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Old Testament book of the minor prophet Zechariah. The book of Zechariah contains more visions and prophecies regarding Christ and the end times than all the rest of the minor prophets combined. The role of the prophet was to tell God's people what God thinks about them and what they are doing or not doing. God cares about his people and he cares about everything in their lives. The book of Zechariah reminds us of God's constant thoughts and teaches us about his plans for the future so that we have hope when we need it. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the book of Zechariah as we look for Christ in the Old Testament. Turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah, Old Testament book. It is the second to last book in the Old Testament. So go to Matthew and go left about eh, about 20 pages, depending on what Bible you're in. Zechariah is uh, one of the minor prophets. The minor prophets are not minor because they're lesser in, in quality or content, but in length. Though Zechariah is the longest of the minor prophets with 14 chapters. Zechariah was a contemporary of Haggai. And so if you've read Haggai recently, I think somebody has. I think I heard somebody was in Haggai or playing around with Haggai, doing something with Haggai. (laughs) So they're around at the same time. It's interesting. Haggai comes onto the scene and uh, he's only there for about five months. And then Zechariah pops up a, a few months after Haggai does. And then Zechariah's ministry lasts, some believe, um, as long as 50 years. Uh, he was a young man when he started his ministry, when God first called him to be a prophet. Both Haggai and Zechariah come into the scene regarding the same basic issue, um, though they approach it differently when you study it. In Haggai's case, um, the reality is that they, they are ministering to the Jews who have returned from the exile to Babylon. So they all, you know, the Jews, you know, God told the Jews, do what I say, love me, worship me, obey me, obey my commandments, and I will bless you abundantly, which he did. And he did over and over and over again and protected them and all that stuff. He said, but if you turn away from me, if you reject me and don't listen to the people I send to warn you about this, there's gonna be a consequence. And one of those consequences was exile, to be kicked out of the land. A great, a great chapter to read on that whole topic of blessing and ultimately what God calls cursing is Deuteronomy 28. So it's a, it's a fascinating study, Deuteronomy 28. And one of the things God said, if you, if you, if you, if you don't do what I said, if you, if you reject me, if you turn away from me, I'm not going to let you stay in this land where I promise to bless you and protect you and show you my, my, my unlimited grace and mercy. And so they didn't. And, and God kept his word. And he kicked them out uh, for 70 years. And, then, and so what Haggai and Zechariah, they both are ministering to the Jews who have come back. So there's a, God allowed the Jews to come back into the land and they came back to rebuild the temple. They got the temple started and then it was interrupted. The construction was interrupted. And after 16 years, Haggai shows up and said, hey, maybe you ought to finish the temple. And so they do start, and then Zechariah picks up, really, from within the middle of the book of Haggai, Zechariah starts, and, um, and his focus is 
not so much on the temple and that, though there's, there is some reference to it. Most of Zechariah's focus is the future. And so there's a very, a very future-oriented sense, too. A very, it's highly prophetic, um, a, a large amount of symbolism that we'll have some fun going through. And, but it's a, it, it will talk about things of the future. It is the most messianic of all of the, the, the prophetic writings. So we're going to see Christ all through the book of Zechariah, including. I was going to try to get to him this week. I just couldn't get that much done. So we'll be looking at next week. Very In the first chapter, we're going to see Christ show up in the first chapter of Zechariah over 500 years before he was born to the Virgin Mary. So that's going to be the kind of the theme of it. Um, the, 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 the fact that God has a future for the Jews. And not just a future, a glorious future for the Jews. <clears throat> now, it can be hard to hope for a future, a good future, when things are not going well. And at the time that Zechariah is writing, while they have, been, they have returned from the exile, things are not going well for them. It's been a tough time. There are, there are people that had moved into the land after they were exiled, and they don't want them to rebuild the temple. They don't want them to flourish and prosper, and so they're getting resistance, and that's why the temple construction got stopped. And so, you know, it, 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 and, and they're just not flourishing. Even though they're in the land of promise, the promised land, they're not flourishing. And so what, I, what is it? <laughs> Zachariah, I know who I'm talking about. I'm looking at his name right here. That Zachariah is going to talk about is that even though it's hard, there is, there is a good future ahead. And we need to recognize that. Whether, whether your circumstances right now are good or bad, you know, if your circumstances are bad, there's a good future ahead for you. If your circumstances are good, there's a better future in store for you. And we need to keep those things in mind, especially as we live in a time where yeah, the future is a little uncertain. Yeah, I'm not sure what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, I'm not sure, you know, if gas prices are going to, you know, go even more stupid than they are today. Or if, you know, there's going to be shortages of this or riots here, whatever. You know, there's just like so many different things are happening. You know, what's happening politically, what's happening socially, what's happening in education. All these things, you know, they can, they can create a sense of, of disease, that we're not, we're not at ease. And, and God wants us to know that there is, a, there is a, a good future ahead and our eyes and our hearts and, our, and everything ought to, be, ought to be centered in that direction, ought to be focused on those things and not on the times that we're in. And we have to deal with the times we're in, but that's, that's, not, that's not where our hope is. Our hope is somewhere else and we need to keep our eyes on that. Um, again, we're, we're going to see just over and over again references to the Messiah. We're going to see references to the end times. We're going to see references to the first coming and the second coming. Um, sometimes in the same verse, we see <laughs> the first and the second coming. So there's some really radical things in there. Zechariah is quoted frequently in the New Testament. One of, it's, the I think, the second most quoted book in the New Testament. Christ quotes it regularly. It's all throughout the, the book. 
book of Revelation. Um, some even refer to it as the Revelation of the Old Testament. So it's a, it's a fascinating book. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. I'm excited every time we start a new book. I'm excited, especially a book that I've, I haven't studied personally before. So, you know, I'm going to learn all these things about two or three days before you do. So, you know, so th- I'm, I'm excited about that. All right, let's pray, and then we'll get into a few verses. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to get into your word as we, as we learn one more way that we can love you more, that we can, we can follow you more closely, that we can be more like Christ, that we can, that we can rise above the today and focus our hearts and minds on what you have in store for us. And then allow that to help us to go through today in a way that glorifies you and blesses others and grows faith. We give you this time and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Zechariah 1, verse 1. Now, just a quick background. There are a ton of people in the Bible with the name Zechariah. So we've got to be careful because we can confuse them with other people. Um, but, you know, if you... Study that, you'll figure it out. Zechariah's name means, actually, let me read, read, let's read verse one first. I'm jumping ahead in my notes because I'm excited. <laughs> Zechariah 1 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, Darius was um, the, the ruler that ultimately allowed, one of the rulers allowed the Jews to come back. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, Zechariah, his name means Yahweh remembers. Yahweh is the Hebrew name of God. And so when you hear Yahweh, you just understand they're referring to God in heaven. Um, another way that, that Yahweh is translated as Jehovah. You see, Yahweh or Jehovah, they both mean the same thing. And there's lots of debate and you know, people argue about this back and forth. Just don't get caught up in it. It's talking about God, okay? Can we just love God, you know, not get caught up in names? Thank you. Say yes. Yes. Thank you. It's believed that he was from the tribe of Levi, which means that not only is he a prophet, but he's also a priest, which would make him similar to uh, the prophets uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who were also both prophets and priests. The, the date here, given the eighth month of the second year of Darius, puts it at October of 520 B.C., in case you're looking for some landmarks, and they are in the city of Jerusalem. So that's the context that all of this is going on. Again, the, the, the rebuilding of the temple had been stalled for 16 years, has just been recently restarted, and so the Jews have gotten back to rebuilding the temple. Verse 2. The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. When you, when you see something like a phrase like your fathers, typically it's not referring to the biological ancestors of the particular person being referred to. It's, it's referring to an, your ancestors, the ancestors of your people often is the, the, a better understanding. And so he's saying for, those, for all of those in the nation of Israel that preceded you is the, is the idea there. God had promised great blessings. If you study the, the, especially the, the first five books of the Bible and see all that God promised to the, to the nation of Israel, 
the blessings that he promised, the, 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 uh, everything he said and did for the Jews, it is amazing. No other nation on earth, no other country, no other group of people was, was promised the things that God promised to the Jews. None. All they had to do was love him, obey him, worship him and him alone. Meaning, God said, don't, don't, don't divide your love you know, with some other deity, air quote deity, or some other, some other thing that draws you away from a, a, an undiluted love for God. And then God warned them. If you choose to love or obey or worship something other than God, there are going to be consequences. Here are the promises. Here's the condition. Promises here are conditional upon you doing these things, loving me, worshiping me alone. Well, we know historically, because the Bible says it very clearly, that Zechariah's ancestors had chosen not to love, worship, and obey God. They had, they had drifted. They were, they were following the patterns of the world around them. Hmm. That should be a problem. That should, that should warn us, shouldn't it? They had not kept his, they had not kept his word. They had not obeyed him. They had not worshipped him and him alone. They allowed other things to creep in, including the worship of other so-called gods. And so, God kept his word. He kept his word to bring the consequences that were attached with disobeying him. God is always faithful to his word, always. He never, ever fails to do what he said. And he, and he says he was very angry. And the, and the way that that word, the way that it's written in the original language, it's angry, angry with anger. The idea that he was super angry with them. God, God gets angry about sin. And I think some people struggle with this concept that, that God is, gets angry about sin. But, but it's not because of what it does to him. You know, you know, whether we sin or don't sin doesn't affect God. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't damage him. It doesn't take anything from him. It doesn't make him less. Your obedience and faithfulness and righteousness doesn't, make, doesn't add anything to God. God is complete, never changing, and he needs nothing from us. He gets angry because of what it does to us, of what it does to those around us. That bothers him because we are created very specifically to love him, to love and worship him and to, and to love those around us and, and, to, and to project his image out into the world. And anything that gets in the way with that bothers him because it clouds his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness. It gets in the way of grace and mercy. And because sin spreads so quickly, once sin starts getting into a person's life, or into a community, or into a nation. It just spreads and spreads and spreads. Gosh, if you've been alive for, a, for more than a minute, you can see that. You can look at our culture and see over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years how, it, how the culture has changed and things that, that even just 10 years ago, we would have, we would have just absolutely been disgusted by 
people are saying, they're, they're, they're throwing parades for and saying, this is good, and you are wrong to disagree with me. Because it spreads, God says, there's a point where I need to intervene. And, and, I, and, and you gotta, you got to know, if you look at this country and you aren't blown away that God has not intervened with judgment of this nation, then you're missing the whole point. We ought to, we ought to wake up every morning and praise God that he's given us one more day because this nation doesn't deserve it. God says, hey, I was angry with your forefathers. So based on that, here are four things, four things that I want you to do, four summons, a summons from God, a call from God. So I was angry, so do these following things. First one, repent to experience all of God's blessings. God says, if you love me, if you follow me, if you obey me, if you worship me alone, I will. It was, a, it, was, it was an absolute conditional relationship. If you do this, I will. And God made a covenant with them saying that this is how it's gonna work. If you do this, this is gonna happen. But if you don't do it, there will be consequences. And he proved that to them. Repent to experience all of God's blessings. Verse three, therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Three times, I want you to notice, three times he uses the phrase Lord of hosts. That word Lord, I want you to notice it in, in your Bible, it's an interesting way that it's written. It's an uppercase L, but then a smaller uppercase O-R-D. Most of your Bible should read that way. Some translations don't do this. But what that's saying, that's an indication that it's the word Yahweh. It's the, it was the, the covenantal name of God to the Jews. So we recognize this as God the Father, God of heaven, Lord of hosts. Three times he used that phrase in one verse to say, hey, here, are you paying attention? Who's talking here? You know, if, if God talks, what should we do? What else? Listen and obey. And if he says it three times, say, I'm not messing around here. This is serious. Take it seriously. And what does he say to them? Return to me. If he says return to me, what is he, what is he suggesting? That they're away, right? They are, they, there's some distance between them and God. That there, There's some separation between them and God. And what separates us from God? Sin, thank you, good church. Sin separates us from God. What else does? Nothing. Nothing else can. But anything that does separate you from God is sin. He says, return to me. This was a regular call from God to the people of Israel. Isaiah 44, 22, I blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins return to me for I have redeemed you over and over and over again. God said to the nation of Israel, return, 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 come back to me. Why would God say that? Because he wanted them to. Why? Why would God want them to do that? so that he could bless them again. 
It's God's desire. It's his heart to pour out his blessings, his grace upon his people. He wants nothing. That's his greatest desire for your life is that he can, he can express everything that he's promised to you completely without, without any hesitation, without any hindrance, without any filtering. He wants to give you everything. And only one thing stands in the way, sin. This call to return continues on in the New Testament. James 4, 6, draw near to God. Why would you need to draw near to God? Because you're away from God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I've gotten some heat over the years for referring to people in the church as sinners, referring to the church, you bunch of sinners, like I'm saying something that's not true. Listen, if you don't acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner, then we have other conversations we need to have. Because the reality is that, that who was James talking to? The church. The church. The Bible offers only one solution to sin, only one. And that's Repentance. To repent is to recognize that I am away from God, that I'm away from that, that place of, of perfect fellowship and, and community and connection and, and union with God, communion with God, that I recognize that, that, I, that God would have me to be in a different place emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically, whatever it might be. I'm not exactly where God would have me to be, that there's something that's not quite right. I'm thinking wrong. I'm doing wrong. I'm feeling wrong. Whatever it might be, God says, okay, acknowledge that. Admit that that's true and then come back. It's a turn away from whatever it is that you sense, that you recognize, the word tells you, is, is drawing you, is making you away from God and you turn back to God. Jesus tells us he is the only way to do that. He is the only pathway. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to experience more of God's blessings, what do you need to do? Repent. Repent. Second thing, respond to the lessons of history. Verse four, do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, I, I, I told all of your ancestors, I told them, that what they were doing was wrong. I told them that they were away from me. I sent them prophets over and over and over again. Remember, Zechariah is speaking to people, most of whom had probably been born in Babylon, in the exile. They had, they had, their ancestors were a part of those that had been taken out of Judah, taken to Babylon, 
where they started lives. 70 years they were there. Most of their ancestors, I'm guessing, at, at the point that this book was written, probably all of their ancestors were gone. There wasn't probably anybody left that originally had been in Judah beforehand. God reminds them, hey, I warned them. In 2 Corinthians 36, 15, and 16, it says this, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. He said, I, I, I sent the prophets prophet after prophet after prophet. We have records of many of those prophets. There were a lot more than that, but we have records of some of them and what their message it was, and it was over and over and over again, the same thing. God says, come back. You've wandered away. He wants you to come back. Why? So that he can bless you. He wants to bless you. Come back so he can bless you over and over. And what did the people do? Mocked them ridiculed them, persecuted them, killed them. God said, okay. There's no other remedy. There's a point where God says, okay, enough is enough. God, I I love the Bible for this. I I just love the Bible, so I I love it for everything, but God records the failures of his people. I mean, mean, that's amazing to me. I mean, doesn't it amaze you? Over and over again, the failure. I mean, read the book of Judges if you want to see how how true that is. Over and over again, his, his people doing the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, God showing his grace, and then they think, oh, thank you, God, and then they do the wrong thing again. God still shows, you know, he, he saves them and over and over and over and over again. He does that so that we can see what his people did, the failures that he did, and the consequence of their failure. He wants us to understand, okay, this is what God said, this is what the people did, this is what God did in response to what the people did, and this is what the people did after that consequence, and and it goes on and on and on. He wants us to see that, why? So that we don't repeat it, right? Can we learn from other people's mistakes? Yeah, should we? Yeah. Listen, if someone does the same thing that God judged someone else for, what's likely to happen to us? I mean, should we not experience the same thing that someone else experienced for for doing something that God said, don't do that or do this and not doing it? Third, realize how brief time and opportunities are. Verse five, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? He's basically saying, hey, all these people that were, all their ancestors, they're all gone. All those prophets that I was talking about, they're all gone. Time and opportunity are temporary. No one is given an unlimited amount of time. Older I get, the more I understand that. And the faster time seems to be going. You old people can acknowledge that, right? <laughs> Two or three of them. Life is not permanent. Opportunities are not always going to be there. 
You know, we like to think, you know, oh, there's always tomorrow. No, no. I can look back and see 50 years of tomorrow still gonna be theirs that I may have missed a thing or two. The time to repent and do the good things of God is today. Today. Job 7, verse 6 and 7 says this, My days are swifter than a weaver's beam. In verse 7, Oh, remember that my life is a breath short. As an older man, I would say to you younger people, don't wait. Don't wait. Today is the day. If there is any good that you can do, today is the day to do it. Take advantage of the opportunities that God placed in If something looks like an opportunity, pray. Ask God, should I take advantage of that? And if you don't get a no, do you know what that means? It means you should. I have learned in my life when I sense something going on and I pray and God doesn't tell me no, then I need to go. Fourth, remember the unchangeableness of God's word. I was sure I was going to stumble over that word. I did not. Verse six, yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? And they... and. So they returned and said, just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. God's people and prophets are temporary, but God's word is not. And he's saying that, you know, did not, you know, God's word overtake us, you know, that, that God said certain things were going to happen. And guess what? They happened exactly the way God said it was going to happen. When God says something, it is, it is written in stone, as they say. It, well, it will not, it cannot change. When God says he's going to do something, it will happen exactly the way that he said it would happen. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, what God pleases, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That's why we read and study God's word. God's word has the, it, 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 it is the power of God. And when we allow the word of God to, to dwell in our hearts and the spirit of God comes and he, and, he, and he enlivens it within us, it becomes this source of power and, and truth and hope and peace and joy and all of the things that we're looking for, it comes right straight out of the word of God, hidden in our heart and enlivened by the spirit of God and, of course, obeyed. The better we know God, the better we understand his word, the better we, we, we allow his word to dwell within us, the better we're gonna understand the world that we're living in, the better we're gonna be able to move through this world in a way that is good and, and produces good. And he's calling them saying, hey, acknowledge 
that God did what he said he was going to do. And this is something we need to understand that, that for us as well, we, we need to have that attitude where we say, if God says it, it is true and it will come to pass. Because there, there are some people who say, oh, God said it, but it's not gonna happen today, right? It'll be in the future. So I don't have to worry about it today. No, no, that's not the right attitude. Because, you know, you, today could be the day, and you need to know that. The prophet Jeremiah wrote at the, the time of the exile, so right before and during part of the exile, um, and while from within the exile, he wrote Lamentations. Lamentations 2.17 says this, the Lord has done what he purposed. He said he was gonna do it, and he did it. He's talking specifically about the consequence of not obeying him, not worshiping him as they were directed to. He has fulfilled his word, which he commanded in days of old. He has thrown down, that would be the people of Israel, and has not pitied, and he has caused an enemy to rejoice over you. That'd be the Assyrians and the Babylonians. He has exalted the horn of your adversaries. That word horn there is going to be important for next week because it speaks of power, specifically political power or governmental power. Listen, if God's word says it, believe it, trust it, obey it. Believe it, trust it, obey it. If we do that, then we're going to be where God wants us to be. If you choose not to do that, you can do that. But then you should also prepare yourself for the consequences of not doing that because God promised those as well. He makes promises to us, but he also promises consequences if we don't do what is the promises are conditional upon. Next week, we're gonna look. The book of Zechariah is interesting. It is the first eight Six chapters con conclude, include eight visions that all take place on one night. So the first half of the book is all covered up in one night. We're going to look at that next week. As Zechariah gives the Jews, encourages the Jews to, to be faithful to God and to hope in a future that they can't see in that moment, in that time. And Jews are not the only ones that God has promised a glorious future to, right? Do we acknowledge that? Somebody say yes. We believe that. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been promised a glorious future. An amazing future, a future that is so glorious that it defies human description. And regardless of what your today is, you know, your today, your today, what's going on in your life today may be amazing, wonderful. I pray that it is. And I pray that it continues. But the future that's coming is way better than that. There is no today that can be so amazing that the future isn't even better. Maybe not in this life, but in the next. And if your today is, well, a train wreck, 
that allows us to hope in something that is good. And it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter, you know, if you're tall or short or wide or narrow, you know, whatever your shape or size or whatever you might be. The reality is, is there's only one thing that matters. Who are you in Christ? And if you're one of his people, then there is a glorious future in store for you. And he would say to us the same things that he said to the Jews through Zechariah. First, repent to experience all of God's blessings. If you have your Bible open, which you still should because we're, I'm still talking, turn to 1 John chapter 1. <laughs> uh, I, always, I can always tell when people think I'm getting close to the end because I start hearing zippers. <laughs> Not done yet. First, repent to experience all of, the, all of God's blessings. The Apostle John writes this letter to believers. Whenever we're, whenever we're using Scripture, we need to know who those Scriptures are written to because that plays a role in us interpreting how they apply in our own lives, how to interpret them. In this case, they were written to believers and he talks about a subject that some churches avoid. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he says, If we, we, is the church, is believers. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we, the church, believers, individual, corporately, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Anybody think it's a good idea to call God a liar? No, it's not. I take a shower every day. You know why? Because I need to. Right? Right? Yeah, I need to. There's just life. It does stuff. If I wanted to, I could skip a day. I could. Put a little extra deodorant on, maybe a little cologne, and maybe nobody would notice. But the longer I go, the more obvious it's going to be, right? right. That I need a shower. Repentance is a shower for the soul. It cleanses us of the filth we pick up living in a broken world. It's the, the filth that we ourselves produce being less than perfect creatures. If you're, not perf if you're perfect, then this doesn't apply to you. And I think there's only one person here that thinks they're perfect. The rest of you know, okay, I'm not perfect. I'm not looking back there. We're living in this broken, wrong way world and as we go through it, we, we get touched by the, the, the brokenness, the, the, the sin of this world. We either bring our own sin out or the sin of this world touches us and it, and it affects us. It, it, some of it clings to us. The, the illustration that's most profoundly is when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. He says, hey, you're clean, but 
you know, you still have this little dirt on your feet from walking through the world. The longer you go without repenting, the more those around you can tell that you need to. The more obvious it becomes. And, and at some point, it should even become obvious to us. You know what? I don't smell good. I might need to do something about that. Repentance is the key that unlocks God's blessings. And I, I got to tell you, there are churches, I know there are churches that will not say that to you. They will not say to you, believer, you need to repent. Which of you believers needs to repent? All of you. All of you. And there are churches that won't say it. And I have to, I have to wonder, do they even love their people? Because you can't love someone you allow to be nasty, spiritually filthy, when there's an answer, a simple answer, repent, repent. I would not want to be one of those pastors standing before Christ someday and explaining why I didn't share the one key that people need to truly experience God's blessing. Because here's what you can do. You can, you can teach messages that allow people to experience carnal blessing or emotional blessing or some sort of a, a temporal blessing, but it's not God's blessing. It's not him pouring out his blessing upon them. We must repent, and we must do it frequently. We have to wake up every morning and say, I repent for what I'm going to do today. Because I know at some point, I'm going to think something, I'm going to say something, I'm going to do something. I know something is not going to be like Christ, because I, I know today that I'm still not perfect. Hopefully, I'm better than I was yesterday, but I'm still not perfect the end of your day you ought to repent maybe think back that time you were a little short with someone maybe a wrong thought somebody did something and you know that thought that, you, that, came, that came just blurting into your mind hopefully it didn't come out of your mouth but it popped into your mind okay, you know that's not Christ like I got, I got to cleanse myself of that I got to be clean of that only one way to do it you have to repent God God, that's not like Christ. Forgive me. As you're going through your day, and it happens, the sooner you can catch it, the sooner you can acknowledge, you know what? That was not the way it should be. That's not the way I should be. I need to repent of that. And if you're, if you're pointing at other people saying, you know what? It's their fault. It's her fault. She did it. She made me do it. No, she didn't. If you sin, it's your fault. Confess it, repent of it, be cleansed of it. Here's the thing. I love repentance. Gosh, if we understand the, the, the immensity of repentance, it makes me clean. How clean? All the way clean. You know, it, it's, like, it's like getting your hands dirty. Once you wash them, can you, can you see any, if you do a good job, can you see any dirt on your hands? No, it's all gone. And, and, and the same thing with sin. If I repent of my sin, I, I can look for it. 
but it's not there. It's gone, and I can walk in freedom. Repent. Second, respond to the lessons of history. There is a saying, those who do not learn from the past are doomed to to repeat it. God faithfully records these failures of his people so that we don't make the same mistakes they did and experience the same consequences that they did. I mean, we, I mean should we, shouldn't, we, shouldn't we want to live the right way? And if God gives us examples of people who did it wrong, that just makes it a little bit easier for us to do it the right way. Third, realize how brief time and opportunities are. No one knows how much time we have left. No one knows when Jesus is coming back. He could be back at any moment. He could be back today. He could be back right now. Darn it. No one knows how much time we individually have on this earth. We need to make the best of the time that we are given. In Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, it says this. See that you walk circumspectly, meaning taking being serious, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. If you want to see what walking as fools rather than wise looks like, just watch TikTok. It's filled with it. Don't watch TikTok. It's bad. Today is the day that you have. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. And don't, and don't imagine in your mind, oh, there's always tomorrow. Maybe. Maybe. You know, I've lived long enough to go through a lot of tomorrows. But we're not promised tomorrow. Today is the day. And sometimes if we wait till tomorrow, the opportunity that God set before us won't be there. And we don't want to miss that because God's blessings are in the opportunities that he provides for us. Today is the day. Fourth, remember the unchangeableness of God's word. We live in a culture that is actively changing definitions. Have you ever seen that they're changing all the words to mean something different than what they used to mean to fit with their doctrine and ideologies, which they're almost all evil and broken. To experience God's blessings, which we want, right? Don't, don't we want God's blessings? Are God's blessings better than the world's blessings? Yes. yes, always better. We need to stand on the unchangeable word of God. God's word never changes. The definitions never change. The doctrines never change. The truths never change. It's always the same. Why? Because God said it right the first time. Why is it that everything in our culture is changing? Because they don't know what truth is. They don't know what is right. And it's because they don't know what's right, they keep changing what's right. Every day, something different is right. What it was yesterday is different than what it is today because today we're, we're different than we were yesterday. Well, what, what does that mean about tomorrow? It's gonna be different again. And it keeps changing, keeps changing, keeps changing. Yeah, as we continue to study through the book of Zechariah. We're gonna continue to look at this glorious life that God has in store, first for the Jews, and then by extension, for us. 
Now, some of it's very specific to the Jews, and I'll draw that out as we go through, but some of it applies. Again, there are truths that are going to transcend that reality because as, as Christians, we are grafted in to many of the promises uh, that God made to the Jews. They're just general promises for God's people. And while we wait for the glorious life that God has promised us, God would call us to live within his blessings today. He's promised us blessings. He's made promises to all of his people that we can experience today. But we do that by doing what God says, by living in the reality of his truth, by walking in his truth, by by drawing closer and closer to the center of his will and looking for those areas in our lives where we are not like Christ. If I can find some area that I'm not like Christ, I need to return to God in that place. Chris, understand, understand something, Christian. Repentance is not about getting saved. It's a part of it. We repent. It, it, it's a step in the process of, a, of us being saved, but then it's also a part of the process of daily walking with Christ. Finding ourselves, getting ourselves to that place where we're closer and closer and closer and closer to the center of God's will for our lives. And we do that by understanding who God is and what Christ has said, what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, what his word says about this world, what he says about our lives, what he says about our marriages and our families and our communities, all these things. The more we do this and we recognize, you know what? And we need to be open-minded. Am I where God would have me to be? And being willing to say, God, I, I want to be in the center of your will. You know, you know, you know the, the, the psalmist said, God, show me my heart. Show me if there's any iniquity in me, if there's anything in me that is not right. Why, do, why would he want that? So that he could repent. He could turn away from that thing and turn back to God so that he could experience the fullness of his relationship with God, to experience all of his mercy, to to experience grace, to experience God's love more intensely. God called us to a glorious life. We have a glorious future. That's absolute. Nothing can change that. But he calls us to a glorious life today as well, a life that the rest of the world will not understand. And it begins with a simple spiritual practice, a spiritual cleansing in the the reality of repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Lord, I come as, as a man, husband, father, grandfather, pastor. And Lord, I, I know that, that there are probably things in my life that I could be closer to you on. I know that I do, I do uh, my eyes will, will turn aside. My thoughts will wander. My my responses and reactions to things are sometimes not what they should be. And so, Lord, I confess that I need to repent, and I do that. And I ask, Lord God, that you would help me to see the, the, the true nature of my heart, that if there's anything in my heart that doesn't belong there, anything in my mind that doesn't belong there, anything in my life that doesn't belong there, you'd help me to see it so clearly that I can turn away from it and turn towards you. 
And Lord, I would pray that prayer for everyone else here, whether they're here in person or they're watching online or they'll watch this later on. Lord, repentance may be the single greatest gift that you've given to the church. Well, we'll never downplay the reality of Christ's death on, our, on the cross for us. It's repentance that brings us into, that, into his presence, into the, into the reality of that truth that makes it even possible for us to be saved. And so I ask, Lord God, I stand in awe. You don't have to give us, you don't have to let us repent, but you offer it to us as, as, a, as an immense display of your grace. And so we ask, Lord God, all of us ask, examine us. Help us to examine ourselves. That we might see clearly what it is that you, would, that you would say to us. And that we would daily, hourly, moment by moment, bring ourselves to come back to you. To the God who loves us to the God who saved us, the God who's preparing a place for us, the God who will someday come and get us to bring us to be with him for all of eternity, that we will keep coming back and coming back and coming back through that simple act of repentance. And I pray, Lord God, I, I pray for all of those churches around us that, that so frequently avoid this topic Lord, I pray that you bring conviction upon the hearts of those pastors that they are doing no good for their church if they will not call them to do the one thing that brings them into the center of your grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us, especially for those who may be messing around in an area that, that they know is wrong and they've yet to repent. I pray, Lord, that you would soften their hearts to you. And if necessary, Lord God, and God, I even hate to pray this, but if it's gonna take a consequence for them to get, get their lives right, Lord, bring it. As I would pray that same prayer for myself. I pray, Lord, whatever it's gonna take to get us into, your, into the center of your grace, Lord, we ask for that because we know it's there that we experience the fullness of communion with you, the fullness of grace, the fullness of mercy, the fullness of love, the fullness of peace, hope, joy, all of the things you promised to us is found in that place. And so I pray, Lord, for your people, just an outpouring of your spirit that draws us humbly into your presence through repentance. And then once we've repented, Lord God, that we would walk in the freedom that you promise and you give us through repentance. And Lord, we know that all of that is possible because of what Jesus did for us. And so we, we thank you for that. And Lord, we don't hesitate to remind other people that they need to do that. They need to acknowledge the reality that Christ died for them. Now right now, you may be working in someone's heart and stirring the faith that they need to believe. And if that's true, they have a decision to make. And I pray that they would choose to respond to your call. Heavenly Father, we're, 
We're so grateful for all that you do in our lives. And we lift up this day to you now and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us on this exciting journey through the book of Zechariah. It is our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If there's anything that we can do to help you with that, don't hesitate to connect with us. You can do that by going to calvaryfv.com slash connect, and you'll find all the ways that you can connect with us there. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. You can send us an email to prayer at calvaryfd.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.